You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Uh, I'm just delighted that on a summer Sunday that you have made uh, the right decision by uh, being in the house of the Lord and uh, coming under uh, the preaching of the word and worshiping and uh, giving uh, unto the Lord as well here in a few moments. Uh, There was uh, one more announcement, and uh, that is next Sunday uh, we will have Kids Church. So uh, during this this time of transition right now, we're doing Kids Church on the first Sunday of every month. And uh, so uh, if that's fifth grade and below, and so looking forward to uh, to that next week, I hope that you will uh, plan to enjoy that. And then we as um, teenagers and the adults in here, we will continue uh, in our series that we have entitled Jesus from the book of Mark. And I'm so thankful for how God has used this, uh, this book in my own life and in the life of our church. And we are in Mark chapter number five. Mark 5, and I'm, I, I'm just, my heart is just really overwhelmed with uh, just praise unto my Savior uh, this morning, and I hope that uh, you also uh, were found worshiping Him uh, in your heart and in your mind this morning. Well, we have uh, already spent a couple weeks in Mark 5, and uh, we're actually going to uh, spend one more uh, week next week. This is just a loaded uh, loaded chapter, a lot of moving parts and individuals. And, uh, and so uh, this morning, I'm going to read a, a lengthy portion here just for us to kind of get the uh, just get the context and the grasp of the text. Uh, but again, I'm thankful that you're here. I'll be cognizant of the time and the weather in here. And so you stay engaged uh, to the best that uh, to the best that you can. Mark chapter number five in verse number 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship, Unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. Now you got to remember why he was going on to the other side of Galilee, and that was because the people had seen the maniac of Gadara uh, was seated and he was clothed in his right mind. This was bad for business, you know. This, uh, you know, all of their swine, they, they were shocked by it, and they're like, "We don't want you here." And uh, we looked at that last week. So now he's passed over on the other side. Much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh into the ship. Verse 22, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. If you were to continue down through that text, there is a woman that has an issue of blood for 12 years, most likely just a hemorrhaging issue, and she comes along, touches the hem of Jesus' garment. There's some interaction there. He mightily heals her body. We will look at that and the, just the implications of that story uh, next week. But I want you to jump down to verse number 35. While he yet spake, in other words, with this woman... There, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, which would have been Jairus' house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only 
believe. And he continues down through the text, and we will this morning. I want to preach a message entitled, Costly Faith on Display. Costly Faith on Display. Let's go to the Lord one more time and ask Him to bless our time here. Lord, we come before You, and Lord, I believe this text is is something that every one of us in here this morning need, including myself. And Lord, I pray that as we as we glean truth from it, that Lord, we would see you once again as high and lifted up and mighty on the pages here of the Gospel of Mark. And Lord, I pray that uh, God, you would draw people unto yourself. I pray, Lord, for the believer here that they would see themselves in this text. And then God, if there's an individual here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, may they like the individuals in this text cling to him and run to him and place their faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd get maximum glory. I pray that, Lord, you'd put a watch upon my lips as the psalmist prayed. And Lord, I'd always say that which would be to your honor and to your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter number 5 is a chapter really where you live. Last couple weeks, we've looked at the implications of evil on the, the man there that was in the gathering tombs and uh, what that does in our lives and how Christ so, so powerfully worked in his life. And you have a man here uh, in Jairus where his daughter's dying and uh, the, the health of this woman that had really a hemorrhaging blood issue for literally a 12-year period. And so you and I, this, this world of Mark chapter number 5 is actually a world in which you live. It is, first of all, it is a world that has been dramatically broken by sin where hard and difficult things are a regular human experience. That's just, that's just where you and I live. You have a father here that's facing the death of his little girl. It's not, it's not supposed to happen that way. Children are supposed to outlive their parents. And you can embrace the, uh, the, the helplessness of this man as he's watching his little girl slip into death. And there's absolutely nothing that he can do about it. And then you live in a world where there is this physical... Uh, so we suffer physically where there's chronic sicknesses and diseases and things like that that literally can destroy a life or destroy the, the normalcy of what we would deem as a good life. And they shape everything that you do and every day that you face like the woman with the issue of blood that we'll look at extensively next week. It's a world that's been dramatically broken by sin. We saw the implications of that last week and the weeks before but it's broken all of the world the bible says that the earth just it just groans for its own renewal that god and christ will bring about someday it is also a world where faith is a war it's a world where you're actually are you going to actually believe the radical claims of jesus and will you stake your life on those claims will jesus really be your hope and because He is your hope, you will do things daily that you would not have done with apart from Him or that you would have done maybe another way apart from Christ. It is a world where that kind of radical faith can bring doubt. 
Because although faith is not unreasonable, but faith will press you beyond your human reasoning. Will press you beyond your wisdom and beyond your understanding. It is a world where Jesus says to this little girl, do not, or to, to, to this girl, it, it, that, that she's not dead, says to the father, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. Because he knew what he was going to do, because he's the Messiah, because he's God incarnate walking on this earth, but others laugh. And why would they laugh? It's because it makes no sense. And this is our lives. What do you do when the call of faith argues with everything that seems reasonable to you? Faith is a war. And it is a war that is fought on the turf of your heart every single day. Day And we see that take place, and we'll see that in our text here once again of Mark chapter number 5. And so we have a broken world that brings about heartache and destruction and disease and suffering in your given weeks. You know what I'm talking about. There's a struggle of faith as you try to live for Christ outside these walls. It's hard. And there's doubt that comes in. And Thirdly, you live in a world like Mark 5. It's a world where the presence and power of Jesus resides. This world has been invaded because God is not willing for the world to be left in this condition. And you and I, we ought to, we ought to praise God for that. There ought to bring some excitement, some joy to that. He was not willing for His world and His creation to remain broken. And so He invaded His world with the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does God repair His work? What are His ultimate tools? Well, the ultimate tool is Himself. In the middle of what would be otherwise a very sad story of a man in the tombs and a man that is getting ready to have his daughter pass away in the story of a woman with the issue of blood, you see this powerful, compassionate Messiah and Savior in Jesus. And we see it again and again and again in the book of Mark. We've seen the disciples see Jesus and see Him calm a storm and they're like, wow, who is this? There's such, there's such power in this man. He's so amazing that He literally can muzzle His creation and calm that storm. And yet that power would mean nothing to you and would mean nothing to me if that power was not also met with compassion and love and grace. And so our Savior, listen to me, He cares for our suffering. He cares about this broken world. There is a reason to get up this morning. There is a reason to press on into your week. And it's because the world has been invaded by the glorious Savior. And He cares. And as you and I, over the next 20 or so minutes, as we read this story, I want, your, I want you to allow your mind to think this. I want you to allow your mind to go to this question. Why would He care? He's on this world-altering mission of restoring all things. And why would He care about this lady? And why would He care about this little girl? Well, I can tell you that Jesus does. He cares for her. And he cares for this woman that we'll study in more length next week. I want you to see in verse number 21 of our text. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. That's the story of Jesus' life. So often they were just pressing upon him. 
And he was nigh unto the ship, and behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. So Jesus, he's, he's back across the Sea of Galilee, and he, he's immediately hit by a crowd, and he encounters Jesus, Jairus. Now you need to know who this man is. He's the, he's the ruler of the synagogue. Now that does not mean that he was a rabbi or even a teacher. He was more in the position of what we would call maybe what we would call a deacon. These were were prominent men. They they cared for the facility of the synagogue. And probably their most important job was that they cared for the scrolls and the teaching of the law that was literally the epicenter of worship back in the synagogue and back in Bible days. And so this was a a well-known man. And you need to understand that that... That religious world that Jairus would have been serving in, you already know this from from previous chapters, that that religious world had already begun to position itself against Jesus. They would have already, excuse me, concluded that Jesus was a blasphemer. Jesus would have already proclaimed, I am God. You can see that in the earlier chapters. Remember when when, when they brought the, the man down through the roof? And Jesus could heal that man's sin. And then, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were like, you know, who who is this man that can heal the sin? And then you know that Jesus also heals not only his sin, the real problem, he sees beyond that that issue and sees the heart. Then he says, hey, I want you to rise up and walk as well. And, And they begin to plot his death. They begin to plot how they can bring about this, this blasphemer's death. And yet I want you to see where you see this man. Verse 22 again, and behold... There cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Understand who Jairus was. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Listen, this is radical, costly faith. This man had much to lose. And the reason why is because publicly he was now bowing before the one that the religious establishment had declared as a blasphemer. And so this one, oh, he's a blasphemer. We're going we're gonna to plot and how we can trap him, how we can bring him to trial, and ultimately we can bring him to death. And Jarius, who's in that system, is now radically bowing before Jesus Christ. Listen, that is, what, that is what faith does. Faith is radical. Faith grabs a hold of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Faith embraces the truth that Jesus really is in life. Hear me. That He really is our only hope. Faith really does say, on Christ the solid rock I stand and all other ground is what? Can you finish it? Sinking sand. Radical, true, biblical faith believes that. That Jesus Christ is my only hope for today and tomorrow and the days to come. Even when that faith costs me something. Faith is not timid. True biblical faith does radical things. I want to ask you this morning, where are you being called to radical things? Where are you being called to a radical hope? Hear me. When everything around you says there is no hope. Where are you being called to publicly identify yourself with Jesus Christ? 
Where are you being called to courageous action? Where in your family or in your friendships or in the university or in, uh, on the job are you being called to live by this kind of faith? that can say in a crowd of he was well known, they would have known who Jarius was, that it does not matter what others think, does not matter what this may cost me. I believe that Christ is the one that can do what I need him to do. How are you answering that call? Are you displaying that in your life? And as Jesus is having this man fall before him, and immediately Jesus responds. It's so, it's so amazing. I love, the, I love the brevity of the words of Mark. He's just so short. My father-in-law and I were talking about this this morning. I'm so glad to have them here with us and for, for the weekend. And I can truly attest my love for the Word and study to this man right here, and I'm so thankful for him. But just how Mark is just so quick with the details. Notice what it says in verse 24. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Isn't it amazing? This man falls before Jesus, Christ, and in love and compassion, Jesus immediately responds. Whatever Christ was planning to do that day, he heads towards this man's house instead. Now, Jesus does not go there alone because there's always a great crowd when Jesus is around. And in the middle of the crowd, there's this dear woman. And we're going to study her next week. But as Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, he is, uh, there's, there, he, he's delayed by this woman who's had a hemorrhaging blood issue for 12 years. And while Jesus is interacting with her, you can study that this week. We'll dive into it heavily next week. But as he's ministering to her, as, he's, as she's just showing her faith also in Christ, they, they receive the report that Jairus' daughter is dying. I want you to think for a moment what would flood into the heart of this synagogue ruler. Don't detach yourself from the text. Don't do what's so easily able to do and read to the end of the text. I didn't read it on purpose in case you've never read it before. But many of us, we, we, we know the story and we've heard it in our lives and it's, you know that Jesus goes and He raises this 12-year-old girl to, 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 to life again. Don't go there yet. Try to live in Jairus' world. Try to live in that the Messiah, the King of Kings, the King that we sang about, would literally, he's going to follow him to his house. He's heard about everything that Jesus has done. He's costly in his faith and say, I'm going to go and I've got, I've got to get his help. And now Jesus is coming and he's interrupted. And while he's ministering to another, your daughter dies. Verse 35, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the words that were spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Now put yourself there. The heartache. Can we be real this morning? The anger. The questioning of Jesus. And Jesus says, eh, don't fear. Only believe. 
Again, what a powerful depiction of the radical nature of faith. He's saying, what informs your view of life? What in fact gives you this peace? No, no, no. Don't fear. Just only believe. Now I want you to, I want you to let this I want you to let this sink in. We as human beings are made in the image of God. And we do not simply live life based on the facts of our experience. We live life based on our interpretation of the facts. You and I, hear me, you and I, we are constantly interpreting. You and I, we're constantly a theologian. You and I are constantly a philosopher. We are a constant archaeologist. We're constantly digging through our experiences and we're seeking to make sense out of it. Why would this happen? Why would you allow this? What are the implications of this? You and I were constantly interpreting the facts that are going on in our life. And you never escape that. You're doing it every moment of every single day. Now, it's not like we get up in the morning and we think, hmm, all right. No, no, it's just happening all the time. You're interpreting the, the lens with which you are living your life through. And so let me say this. Your response to life is based on how you are interpreting life. And what is the lens with which you view your life? And so Christ, Christ is he, he's saying to this man, he says, let this be your interpretation. I want you to hang on to that radical faith that caused you to come through a crowd, not caring about the cost. I want you to cling to that faith that you had in the beginning. Don't let this death get in the way of that radical faith. By the way, you continue down the text. They travel to his house. We'll get there in a moment. Then he says, she's only sleeping. Because he knew what he was going to do. He was going to raise her from the dead. She was dead. But he knew that. But listen, Jesus didn't say that at the beginning. Jesus says to this man, hey, your radical faith was enough at the beginning. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Keep the proper interpretation of your life. See, if you and I are questioning God's goodness, hear me, if you and I are questioning God's goodness, then guess what? This week could be very, very, very difficult for you. If you and I are here this morning and we're questioning if God really loves us, by the way, you and I, we do question that sometimes, all right? Oh, we don't, we don't want to act like we don't ever struggle. But listen, those those, those interpretations feed in the way we live our lives. Feeds into whether we're going to run to Jesus or we're not. And so Jesus, he narrows the crowd down to Peter, James, and John, and Jarius, and they, they go to the ruler's house. Now when they get there, it's a wild scene. It's because in the custom of those days, when someone would die, the family would hire professional mourners. There are still some countries in our world today that still have that as a part of their custom. So depending on how, notor you know, how notable you were and depending on about how much money you had would depend upon how much the scene and how loud it would be. And these people were just, they would professionally cry, right? You know, I mean, some, some of us are like that when we watch a Hallmark. I get that. We just cry, Right? But this is different. This is like, hey, I'm going to pay you and we're going to mourn the death of 
this person. And so Jesus has come on to the scene. They're mourning. Jesus says, she doesn't, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they begin to laugh. Verse 38, and he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult, or the, this, the, it's just the ruckus, so to speak. And them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And so you see, once again, we've seen it all through Mark. There's no neutrality. None whatsoever. This faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle of the harsh realities of this life, this broken world, it's a watershed moment for you and for me. You either believe that Jesus is who He says He is, and you live out of that belief, and it shapes the way that you respond. It gives you the lens with which you are interpreting the facts of your life. Or, in your own way, you mock His existence. And you live your life based on your own reason. It's I know better. I know how this should work its way out. There's no comfortable neutrality. And Mark, he pushes that on us again and again and again in the way that he lays out these accounts before us. And so as you continue to go down through the text, Jesus, he drives out all the professional mourners out of the house. And we see this amazing moment with the family with the disciples. Verse 40. And when He had put them all out, He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with Him and entereth in with the damsel was lying. And He took the damsel by the hand and said unto him, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. There are many commentators who note that this is a very tender term. It's a, very, it's a very fatherly type of term. It's almost as if you could kind of hear Jesus saying, little lamb, get up. It's a revelation of the tenderness and the heart of Jesus. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus is on this world-altering mission of making all things new. And yet, at this moment, He's literally taking the hand of a 12-year-old girl. Jesus cares about what's going on in this girl's life. There are no, hear me, there are no details too small for your Messiah. Do you believe that? Is that the lens with which you live your life through? Hey, 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 Jarius, I know the circumstances stink. Be not afraid. Only believe. You were willing to throw away your livelihood, so to speak, to put yourself in an affront to the religious system, to bow down to the one that they're now claiming to be the blasphemer. You, you were willing to do that. Hey, continue to live through that lens. You see a compassionate, loving Messiah and Jesus Christ in this text. In the smallest individual moments of the fallen world to the grandest implications of the curse, this is a Savior of awesome compassion and power. Verse 42 says, And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And He charged them straightly 
that no man should know it. So immediately, this girl, she just rises up. Everyone in the room, they're amazed, they're astonished as so many of these locations and accounts that Mark tells us of. And then the story ends this way. He says, hey, I don't, I don't want you to tell anybody. Now why is that? I believe because Jesus is in control of His ministry on earth. He's not ready yet for the final culmination of His ministry on the cross. And then in this stunning little detail I love, He tells them to give them something to eat. I mean, how sweet is that? It says in verse number 43 at the end, He commanded that something should be given her to eat. And this, and this girl must be hungry. Even meet her physical need of food. Well, that's your address. That's where you live. Don't detach yourself away from Mark 5. This is the world in which you and I live. These are, this is the, the, the brokenness and where you and I are going to go to work this week. I know there's some of you this morning that are facing things that you never thought you would face. There are some of you this morning that are in situations you do not know what you're going to do. There are some of you that are in places that maybe no one would notice, but you feel beyond your wisdom. You feel beyond your strength. You feel beyond your understanding. There are some of you that are maybe new in your faith, and there's quiet moments in your life where you're still being amazed by the power and the awesomeness of God. Yes! It's awesome. These accounts are in Mark so that you would know your world, your world, has been invaded. And it's not just been invaded by insight. Now, clearly it has. The Bible tells us that in Christ, in Colossians 2.3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thankful that in Christ we have wisdom and, and, and we have this knowledge. But it's been invaded by one who is glorious in compassion. He's glorious in power. And he cares about this fallen world. But can I go even further? He cares about you. He cares about me. Christian, do you run to him still in faith? Do you still run to Christ? Do you still say, in so many terms, Jesus is is my solid rock? Would you do the kind of radical things this man did because you believe in Jesus? Where is he calling you to express radical faith? With your family? With your friends? Your co-workers? Your neighbors? Where is it going to cost you to get to Jesus? And then unbeliever, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen to me. We haven't really dived into the woman with the disease really of 12 years. But listen to me. We're all diseased. The things that we suffer from is not necessarily physical disease as much as it is the great spiritual disease of sin. And hear me, there is no hope but for to get to the great physician. There's no hope for getting cure for our disease of sin than Jesus Christ. In Him, and we've sung about it, in Him and Him alone, can we can He forgive? Can we find forgiveness? 
In Him and Him alone can we see the power and the ultimate deliverance that is found from our sin in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, in a moment we're going to bow our heads and in a moment we're going to slip to the back. I'm going to encourage you to press through the crowd and get to Jesus. I'm going to encourage you that if He's working in your heart right now and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you do not know if you were to die today, if you'd spend eternity in heaven or hell, and you don't know, we've got people we want to show you from the Word of God. Listen, listen, in a moment we're going to pray. No one's going to be looking around. And I'm going to encourage you to press through the crowd. What are others going to think? Doesn't matter what others are going to think. And then Christian... It doesn't matter what others are going to think. Respond to what God is calling you to do. This book has been full of callings for us. Are we going to display radical faith for God's honor and His glory? Heads bowed, eyes closed.